Hi, and welcome to the TSW podcast, providing insight from thought leaders, success stories, and practical mental and physical tips to help you on your journey to recovery with your host, Claire Hart. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the TSW podcast. I'm your host, Claire Hart. So I'm really excited to bring this episode to you today. Um, It's been one that I've had on my list to record for a long time, and I was thrilled uh, when Anya agreed to do this with me. Anya Shano is an integrative trauma specialist, psychotherapist, and clinical supervisor. She has experience working in complex mental health, addictions, and also working with the victims of modern slavery, human trafficking, and sexual violence. So I feel incredibly lucky to have had any time with with Anya during my own recovery, but also really grateful that we were able to record this episode to bring to you today. Anya's been my psychotherapist now for just over a year, and she's counselled me for some of the most challenging times of my life um, and has helped me emerge as the whole and future-focused person that I am today. What I personally love about Anya is that her guidance is always incredibly insightful um, and also really practical. And she was also aware of TSW, which was a huge weight of my shoulders when I first engaged with her. In this episode, we discuss trauma and PTSD, what is happening psychologically and physiologically during and after trauma. We talk about coping strategies as well as maladaptive coping strategies and practical tools you can implement to help your recovery. We cover some really challenging subjects, including suicidal ideation and the symptoms of PTSD and also triggers. So I want to give you that heads up um, that you may want to stagger your listening and just take a break if you need to. I do know, however, that the guidance and the EMDR practical exercise we go through here were invaluable to me and I hope they will be to you too. This is one of the few episodes I've personally really enjoyed editing. I normally really struggle to hear myself back, but um, listening to Anya is really soothing, um, and it made me wish I'd recorded all of our sessions together. I have one big ask of everybody listening today, which is please could you share this episode with any of your own personal TSW followers on social media, um, and anybody that you know struggling personally as well with, with TSW. We never know who might be suffering mentally at any point, and this episode might just be what people need to support them at this time. All the references and the resources are, as always, in the show notes, um, as well as how to connect with Anya or her colleagues. So do let me know your thoughts on this episode. Please subscribe, as always, um, and I'll be sure to pass any feedback that you guys send to me to Anya. And final thing for me to mention before I sign off is that Anya is not a crisis service. So if you are really struggling at the moment, please do use 999 or um, the NHS uh, 111 to get some support immediately. But otherwise, I'm sending you guys all love um, for your own recovery. Um, And yeah, please take care and please enjoy this episode and, and let me know what you think. So, Anya, welcome so much, and thank you for joining us on the TSW podcast. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Anya, so obviously you're you're my psychotherapist. I've you know worked mm-hmm. with you now for I guess pretty much a year, maybe short of a year. 
um, going mm. through TSW and I found the whole process incredibly helpful in kind of getting me to the stage where I am now. Um, and talking about mental health and trauma is a big discussion within the community and a lot of people struggle with that. Mm. Um, so, so I think, you know, it'd be really great to start off talking about kind of what is the difference between a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist and a counsellor, because I think those terms can be a bit intermixed and people get a bit confused about what is right for them at a certain time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think um, it's really important, Claire, there's a lot of crossover. and There's no the best is, is, is one. Um, I think the main difference is a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. OK, so out of the whole group, they're the only ones who can prescribe medication. Um, and so they're, they have gone through medical school, they qualified their GMC registered to so the General Medical Council registered, and they're a medical doctor. And they treat mental health illnesses um, with often they have multiple lenses, but one of those lenses would be a medical lens in the consideration of medicine. Um, they work in psychiatric units. They are part of the teams that consultants, um, that psych psychiatric patients would be under. Um, they monitor medication and they prescribe. Does that help with that? Um, the rest, it is more complicated because there is so many layers. Um, so a counsellor tends to be somebody who sort of can some listen, give support, um, help people sort of uh, develop some insight and make some changes to their life. Um, they have to have a minimum of sort of two years training of diploma level, um, but they can practice um, sort of at that level. Then you've got psychotherapists, which is what I am. And a psychotherapist has to have slightly more extensive training and usually trains in one model. Um, or sort of intricately, so take um, a mixture of different models um, of psychotherapy. Um, lots of people will have heard of sort of psychodynamic psychotherapy, that's quite common. Um, I'm an existential psychotherapist, so I look at people or think about people from their lived experience, from their own narrative perspective, um, thinking about what an individual has experienced rather than necessarily um, thinking about it from a um, diagnostic perspective. Okay, um, and then you have psychologists which have trained to a slightly higher level, so they're doctorate trained, um, and then they tend to look at things from behavioural positions. Um, they've done looking at sort of people from um, behaviour changes. Often, though, there is a big crossover. You could have a psychologist who is existential. You could have a psychotherapist who's CBT. So it's quite hard to have a meaningful differentiation between them all. Um, but I think realistically, all the research out there shows if you're going to see a therapist, because we're all therapists, if you're a psychologist, a psychotherapist or a counsellor, the ability for change to happen is in the relationship and we all know that, but it's about making that relationship with the individual, providing that you are feeling supported as a client or as a patient, however you identify, by the person in the room with you. Um, and there are lots of different, lots of people would have heard of CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. That's a very common way of working with people. Um, it tends to be much shorter, um, but then you're more sort of existential, psychodynamic, psychotherapy tends to be longer. I hope that sort of encapsulates it to a part. Yeah, absolutely. That was really helpful. So, so I guess the the message is it's almost actually you could someone dealing with TSW could go and see any anyone who fits within those facets and there will be an element from that that they can draw to support 
the person going absolutely. through. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and again, like I said, and it's about finding that right person. If you're wanting to do longer term work, you probably want somebody who's identifying as a psychotherapist or a psychologist. They tend to do longer work. Um, Counselors tend to do more short term work. But again, it, the, none of this is exhaustive or exclusive. The only thing that I would say for people who are looking for um, therapists and support is to make sure whoever you choose is accredited. So either the BACP the UKCP or the BPS. Those are the three governing bodies. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that whoever you're working with is adhering to um, their uh, ethical procedures, that there is a disciplinary procedure and that actually all therapists should give you a contract that gives you information about how to make a complaint against them if you feel that they have acted unethically, um, who their governing body are and their exhaustive list of their qualifications. Um, and try therapists on. Do not assume the first person you go to is the right person. I always say to clients if they contact me, have you talked to anybody else? please have a chat to other people, follow your instincts. I can't be the right therapist for everybody um, and nobody can. And so making sure that you're in a position to build a trusting and meaningful relationship with somebody who's gonna help work through some of the difficult things that you feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Great, thank you for that. For anybody listening, um, I think there's just some, is there like some little birds in the background that are tweeting there away? Are. There are. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that is very important. I I live in a four hundred year old barn, and my um, and my office is in the garden, and all the lovely little birds nest in my roof, and so they spend. Oh, in fact, I did have a patient once who thought that it was a therapeutic CD that I played in my office. It's but very it's tranquil. It's very nice. It's the dark. It's the Dartmoor birds. <laughs> I love it. Um, so Annie, your specialism is trauma. So can you can you share with me kind of what inspired this focus for you? Absolutely. Um, so Claire, I trained as a therapist sort of 18 years ago um, and I worked uh, predominantly, my first sort of um, stage of my career was working in the field of addiction. And what I really noticed was that people presenting in treatment centres and rehab um, with addictive disorders had this just enormous and often chronic history of trauma really really traumatic experiences and incidences and and I still do um some work in privately in, in addictions and and it really helped me re reframe how somebody copes and survives and manages difficult things and one of those things would be to use drugs and alcohol and we'll talk a bit about um the sort of the body and, and regulation um later on but I think what I noticed was that people weren't using people don't wake up and become addicts because they've got nothing better to do this is the difference between the person who takes drugs and alcohol and has a fun time to the person who goes oh gosh that feels better now and, and actually that's the thing that's sort of soothing them and, and, and helping them cope. And um, it really sort of made me interested in trauma in general. And so I then moved sort of um, different areas. I moved out of addictions and worked in um, specifically in sexual violence um, within a service in London and was there for nearly 11 years and, and really um, honed my understanding of trauma, how trauma presents itself, how trauma, um, sort of how it manifests in the body, um, how memories work, um, and the importance of working and acknowledging what trauma is for individuals, um, as well as a collective. You know, if we think about, say, somewhere like Ukraine, there will be a collective trauma for Ukrainian persons, and then there is the individual trauma 
for individual people. And so understanding trauma on those sort of micro and macro levels and felt was really important to me. Um, and then working down here, I've worked in complex adult mental health. I've worked on a psychiatric ward. And again, people who were presenting as very, very unwell and needing to have their sort of um, to be sectioned or have their liberty deprived. Again, these people have often, not always, but often experienced incredibly traumatic events in their lives. And it hasn't had an effect on their body, on their mind and how they then experience the world and the world experiences them. And I think it's really important that we all who work sort of therapeutically with people have an understanding of trauma, the normalization of some of the trauma responses we have um, and supporting people who've experienced traumatic events. Mm, mm -hmm. That was fascinating. Thank you. So and I think it's interesting and I'm kind of going off script at the moment, but um, I, I remember when I first spoke to Anya that I was concerned that does what I'm experiencing fall into trauma? So, you know, obviously, and I've spoken about this on the podcast, but obviously my, my dad died. We were having IVF troubles at the time and then and then going through TSW. But I remember I had a hesitancy of, is this, you know, because we talk about trauma and those big events for people, those huge things that makes you feel, is this the right thing? Can you talk to me a little bit about? Yeah, I absolutely, um, I, I absolutely think so, uh, Claire. I think it is so important for us to sort of actually navigate away from trauma only being catastrophic events. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, we will talk a little bit about criteria of PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder shortly, but I think just to acknowledge that, um, so I work as um, an EMDR therapist, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a type of trauma therapy. It's recommended by NICE guidance within the NHS, and it can be very useful. And I really like the terminology when I did the training where uh, the woman was, who, who did the training with us was saying, you've got big T's and little T's. Um, but an accumulation of little t's can be as impactive as one big t when we think about trauma and the other thing i think is really important for us to do as society is to not define trauma universally so what i may experience is traumatic claire you may not experience as traumatic now does that mean my trauma doesn't exist no it means that you may not identify with that as trauma if it happened to you and i think it is really important that we don't create a universal um sort of benchmark for what is trauma and what is not trauma and again that's why sort of i was so drawn when i worked in sexual violence services um into working existentially because it was about bracketing all my my stuff and my experiences my understanding and really tuning into my clients and really hearing their story their narrative and not defining in my mind what reached a threshold for trauma but really letting somebody's story somebody's experience being validated being heard being noticed um so i think that is really important when it comes to trauma and you know we know through um psychology experiments that uh, thankfully don't happen so much now on small children is um is actually a child whose parent disenga disengages with them for a short period of time that child can, can become de deeply distressed very very quickly um and if that sort of re-engagement isn't offered again quickly that can leave a child feeling very distressed if you watch the, the experiments called the still face exercise it's, it's very well known um it's on youtube um it's it's not easy to watch but 
you've got to think if, if that child experienced sort of having their care or their support withdrawn repetitively now they may not have been um met a threshold for what society evaluates as traumatic but actually that over and over and over again the sense internally feels very disturbing very distressing and that could amount to multiple little t's having that long-term impact if that makes sense mm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely thank you and thank you for articulating that way more beautifully than i managed to get my question out <laughs> um so so we touched on it there briefly but um can you talk me through kind of what the definition of trauma is and PTSD? Because we hear, you know, both of those sort of terminologies being interchangeably used. Are they the same sort of thing? Um, yeah. PTSD is, um, like I said before, is the diagnostic threshold. And so when we think about the diagnostic threshold, we've got to think about what then that would be. And it's what we know is that PTSD is from when somebody um, either is involved or witnesses a traumatic incident. So somebody um, dies, somebody's close to death or a sexual assault or something of that like would be triggers for PTSD. We know that people who um, say have served in um, war zones who are exposed to very high risk, very threatening situations may present with, with symptoms of PTSD and may reach a diagnostic criterial threshold for PTSD if that makes sense um, so thinking about PTSD is is in terms of whether it's met the diagnostic threshold not necessarily whether you um, quantify your trauma or not mm -hmm. if that makes sense Claire mm -hmm. what, what kind of things would you say are what are the symptoms so what what sort of things stand out as PTSD symptoms yeah so that's really helpful so there is these are the criteria and again like i said earlier on around the self-reporting measures there are some um psychometric testings that help us identify whether somebody would meet the threshold for ptsd and that would be looking at symptoms so symptoms may be for ptsd flashbacks now flashbacks are where for some reason your body um, something is triggered and you feel like the event is happening to you again so um, having worked with people who've been in services, if you hear a bang, your body thinks you're back in combat and you re-experience. So your body sends all the messages out um, through you to say, we're not safe, you're back in danger. And therefore you then go um, and have those responses. You may even feel it, smell it, taste it see it all happening again. Does that make sense, Claire? Yep, and so resonate. Flashbacks is one of the <laughs> yep. intrusive thoughts yeah absolutely you will do yeah absolutely and then you've got um intrusive thoughts which are different to flashbacks so intrusive thoughts are when thoughts or memories or um sort of beliefs sort of force their way into your mind without you voluntarily recalling them so you're sitting on the bus and you're thinking about what happened for dinner then suddenly you start thinking about you know is my skin going to be okay? Am I going to be able to sleep tonight? And you have really intrusive, distressing thoughts, or um, you're thinking about whether you're safe, you feel threatened, you feel stressed by those things, um, but they're involuntarily recalled, not recalled voluntary. Okay, so we have flashbacks, we have intrusive thoughts, we then feel things like low mood, so lack of motivation, um, depressed, we don't want to go out, um, it feels overwhelming. The overwhelmingness of stimulation feels too much. I can't cope. Often people, um, they don't necessarily feel sad, but the idea of going to a busy environment 
too much and it feels that you know again you feel threatened on one level or another your body feels i can't get on a train it's too packed the idea of being in a bar it's too noisy it's too busy feels overwhelming you feel it in your body so you know um feeling low feeling disengaged not doing the things that you would normally do um you know having these um fearful symptoms around you know am i safe am i not safe um you know do you crying more than you cried before you crying less um are you dissociated now dissociation is um is very linked to um to ptsd or to trauma um for those who don't know what dissociation is it's a form of feeling like you've separated out from your body so you don't belong to your body anymore um and then there are there is a massive spectrum it would be an entire podcast on its own so we won't go too deeply into it (laughs) but there's a big spectrum of of dissociative disorders where actually people who've experienced trauma um they can sort of almost in their mind fracture parts of themselves off and the trauma can get stuck with different parts of themselves and so they can function generally quite well but if the trauma part of them is triggered then they dysfunction, they can't cope, they become traumatized and everything's very difficult. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And and what I would say for anybody listening, like I know like triggers are a huge thing, but honestly, Anya, everything you've run through there, I can I can feel in myself I can all of those things, it like it creates like a anxiety, like a a heart palpitation so if anybody is feeling like that you know take a beat from the podcast just pause mm-hmm. it and then come back because yeah. you know we may yeah. you know we may be talking through many things that are resonating with you right now um so definitely just take take, take a take a break if you need and come back later um and we'll, we'll be going to be talking through some management techniques and stuff like that so um be yeah. really kind to yourself because i know it's difficult to to talk about i think that's really important and and also what i would say what I do want to say that's really important is for your trauma. It's for you to recognize if that makes sense. Um, you don't have to meet someone else's threshold to identify that what you're experiencing is traumatic. If you feel threatened, if you're feeling that, that fear and stress and overwhelmingness that we've just talked about, um, that's okay to identify that as trauma. And it's okay to, to notice that that is a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that that's really important. And like you said, you know, this podcast could be triggering some of that. And so to think about self-care in, in, in amongst this is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Anya. Um, so if we talk about a little bit about the impact of unaddressed trauma. So if you carry this trauma throughout life and you don't proactively take measures to help yourself, kind of how can it resonate lifelong for an individual so again so if we come back you know at the top we were talking about the difference between psychology psychiatry and uh, psychotherapy there's also something really important is that again unlike some forms of medicine like say diabetes which is like really sort of like clear and diagnostic and there's really sort of like you have certain you know levels and it's all manageable and and and, and sort of understandable um psychology involves you prescribing to the models that you identify with does that make sense Mm -hmm. and so again this isn't necessarily set in stone but for me and and i will be sharing sort of the literature that has um, influenced me and the sort of workings and, and the models that influence me so when i think about sort of unresolved trauma 
we have a, a myriad of, of, of impacts. Um, it can impact us from the ability to function in our relationships, to have relationships where we feel safe and we feel secure and we feel connected to people. Because if we're in that state where we feel threatened and stressed a lot of the time, um, it's very difficult for us to recognize and understand that, um, you know, the person that we're having a relationship with isn't threatening if we feel threatened by everything. If I'm running from a lion, I'm going to find it very hard to have an emotional resonance with somebody next to me if they're not frightened of the lion, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so um, relationships are one of the things that it can have long term impacts with your sort of, like I said, other mental health presentations like depression, anxiety, low mood, um, you know, loss of libido, all those different things that are really important to someone's wholeness and having a, a whole sense of self. Um, and then there are even more things. So um, there's a, a doctor called uh, Gabor Mate, which many of you listening may uh, resonate with. I'm sure I've made you read some of his stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, and he's written a wonderful book called When the Body Says No. And he talks about the somatic response of trauma and, um, and unresolved difficulties and how your body can start to exhibit and symptomize certain um you know um illnesses that are linked we know and we're getting more um sort of aware and more sort of um i think comfortable with accepting that psychological pain and difficulties can cause medical and you know physiological problems i think people and doctors are beginning to understand that we have something called um non-epileptic seizures that are now being understood more to be you know linked with trauma so um the BBC did a documentary about um, illnesses, I think it was last year, and it was really good. They had an episode where they had a neurologist who was talking to a soldier about actually his fits weren't epileptic. They were non-epileptic seizures and they were probably linked to his trauma. And I thought wow. that was such a brilliant thing to be able to expose to people out there. Um, I have patients that I work with who have non-epileptic seizures. And it's incredibly distressing because you're thinking, I haven't, you know, often they're like, I didn't do it on purpose. And I'm no, you didn't. Your brain has felt so overwhelmed with what it carries that actually you have um you can have a seizure response um certain illnesses there are links to sort of ibs to gut health to um migraines um lots of you know autoimmune diseases lots of these things can have roots in unresolved um, psychological ill health or trauma and so i think again it's really important to think that the psychological wellness doesn't sit on a cloud next to the body separately as if they don't exist actually it's important to think we all exist together and and people who experience things like fibromyalgia or um, me chronic fatigue can absolutely have roots in in trauma in distress um and and i think that it's really important to to think about the whole body and not think you know oh you know they're, they're making it up or it's not real pain or it's not real is absolutely real and it's so important to acknowledge that these are very real things and it's great that people like Gabo Mate are writing books and and he refers to very specific studies he refers to research that's been done so really evidencing it which I think is really important mm, absolutely and I can thoroughly recommend that book when the body says no and I'll link to it in the show notes for people to access um, mm. but yeah incredibly powerful and and I think Anya that links really nicely um, 
to our next question, which is around, you know, we're starting to hear more and more kind of on podcasts and I guess in the media around that nervous system dysregulation um, mm-hmm. and, and how that talks, how that links to traumatic experiences. Can you, mm-hmm. can you help me understand that or just talk through that a yeah. little bit? So what I think is really important to think about is our nervous system is this great sort of system that regulates us. Okay, I think about it as a little factory that regulates us and we have our parasympathetic nervous system and our sympathetic nervous system. Now, a traumatic event pushes the nervous system outside of its ability to regulate. I think that's really important. So we've talked about things like um, dissociation. We've talked about things like shutdown. So I'll talk a little bit now about sort of um, how I interpret and I work with um, how the body experiences trauma so i think about it as a traffic light system and there's some really lovely um images to support this that on the internet if you just put in um polyvagal theory or nervous system response to trauma you'll get these lovely pictures um that are in in the images center and that will help confirm and, and sort of give you a visual to what i'm talking about but i think about it as a traffic light system so you have this green zone where I call it our, our sort of um, window of tolerance, where you're in this green zone, you're grounded, you're feeling good, you're feeling secure, you're feeling safe, um, your relationships, you're feeling connected, you can make lovely eye contact, and you can feel really sort of secure, curious, open. And that's the place we want to be most of the time. And so I think about, again, when I think about my traffic light system, put a ladder next to your traffic light system, and you need to think about how many rungs of ladder do you have in your green zone before you're going into your orange zone and so your green zone is your window of tolerance your orange zone is what we would call hyper arousal so that's hyper so action active and you've moved into your sympathetic nervous system so you're ready i'm action i'm ready to go i'm ready to to deal with the threat that is in front of me so that might be with your fight that might be with your flight or that might be with your appease okay so there's four and we will go on to freeze that's in the next zone but we'll stick with the three that we've got at the moment i call them my superheroes they sit in the back cave and they're all just playing cards chilling out waiting to respond to a threatening situation and when a threatening situation comes up the one who feels that they're most likely to keep you alive and safe will go out and do what they need to do so fight flight and appease now appease is one that isn't often referred to in america it's known as fawn i think they wanted to have the four f's um but it's more about the way of emotionally managing the situation so um a, a, a friend of mine that um does uh she's a therapist she she refers to it as the attend and befriend and i think these are really useful ways of thinking about how our, these are threat responses so the woman who um, makes dinner every day for her husband at five o'clock because if she doesn't, he gets enraged and he might hit her or be aggressive to the children or will smash up the house. She's not making him dinner at five o'clock because she wants to because that makes her feel great. She's doing this because she's managing. It's attending and befriending him because that's a threat response. So that's from the orange zone. That's an I can action response. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Claire. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, and then you've got your next level up, which is your red zone. And that's when you're in hypo arousal. Okay, so when we're in hypo arousal, we're in shutdown. We're hopeless, helpless, I can't. So remember the orange is I can, 
the red is I can't. Shut down, hopeless, dissociated, I can't do this. So you literally float out of yourself, this is too much. Um, you may feel shame, you may feel um, to the point that you don't want to live anymore. And that's often when people feel or action suicide is when they're in that hypo arousal place. And I know these are very difficult things to hear on a podcast. And I really want to make sure that people are hearing this and, you know, make sure they reach out for help. There's lots of really good help out there. If you are feeling that you identify with any of the things that you're hearing in this podcast, you know, you can call your GP. If you feel at risk, you can call 999 and they will come and take care of you. You can um, call the Samaritans and maybe what I'll talk to you, Claire, is make sure we have links to all these things on, yes, that would be on the show notes. Yeah. So if people are triggered, that they can absolutely access that immediate support because it is very distressing and people may identify with going through these different traffic light systems um, and being in that hypo arousal states when you're in that sort of freeze shut down i can't mm. so one of the ways in which i describe it when i work um when i work with people is is sort of quite visually so if you're in your green zone and the doorbell rings and there's a kitten at the door you're like oh wow there's a kitten oh i can cuddle it stroke it it might scratch you but it's not going to cause any significant harm and so you can play with it interact you feel safe you feel curious or if i if i wave this feather will it play with me that really feels quite exciting then if your doorbell goes and you're in your orange zone you open the door and actually it's a lion and you're like oh okay so your fight might be punch the lion on the on the nose your flight you're going to run upstairs and hide under the bed and your appease might be nice lion come and come and have a steak um you know the tiger that came to tea ate that poor family out of house and home and so you know that appeasing response now if you're in the red zone and you open the door and there's a lion you might say well just eat me i'm done i have nothing can you see the differences between the responses a hundred percent yeah and i think that's about understanding that's how the nervous system it has a physical response and the nervous system holds memory and experience in a way in which the mind doesn't and i think again it, it's all in, intertwined um the body um there's another really good book it's it's a hard book to read because it has some very graphic material so it may not be something that people want to read but um Bessel van der Kolk's written a book called um, The Body Keeps the Score and it talks about how the body can um, hold trauma and so the way I describe it is you have like the explicit memory, memory which is like you pull a memory out of your mind like a picture postcard you can describe to me I don't know the last time you went out for dinner or went out with your friends and etc and that was really helpful to describe to me so I understand the event that you went through whereas an implicit memory so memory it's sort of imprinted into your body you don't have access to pull that memory out. It lives within your body. And so when you experience flashbacks, your body relives an event. When you um, when you feel traumatized or in you're in those hyper or hypo arousal states, this is being triggered within your body, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You may not have a brain memory to say why you're feeling this way, but your body for whatever reason has been re-triggered. You know, and I'm thinking in terms of TSW, you could just have for example you know i don't know a little bug fall on your land on your arm and you brush it off and as your nails touch your skin 
you may not pull a brain memory out, but your body may have an incredible, powerful reaction to that of threat of, oh my goodness, is this happening again? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. And so being aware of that within those, um, mm. within those nervous system responses it's so fascinating isn't it and and super fascinating that you know it's only you know there's a couple of books and there's a couple of studies around it how it's integrated because even hearing you talk through the traffic lights um i can resonate and feel in my body the tension of knowing where i was at each of those stages so at the point that you know we connected anya i was completely in that red i was like i couldn't work i couldn't yeah. you know and you can yeah. feel it like it's my body yeah. is reacting to even to being taken back there so yeah yeah it's it's absolutely fascinating and it's really important for us to understand how we then can help our nervous system relax absolutely. and process and let go and know it's safe yeah. um absolutely no i absolutely agree with that claire and it's really important to know that you are not imprisoned in having to stay in those what what it's called is when you oscillate between the orange and the red zone this kind of polyvagal swing um because this is what leads to um, burnout and adrenal fatigue. Because when you're in the orange zone in that sympathetic nervous response, your body is pumping. And we have to remember again, with people suffering with TSW, they have an autoimmune response. And if you're then pumping out loads of hormones, loads of cortisol, adrenaline, or adrenaline, and actually having to do that just to get up and have breakfast, just to get out the door to get to work, you're going to very quickly become um, fatigued in um, sort of in your resources, if that makes sense, your biological resources, adre mm. you know, adrenaline, your adrenal glands become fatigued, um, as well as your psychological resources, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So just for anybody listening, we're going to come on to some practical guidance that, that you can do to Absolutely. help yourself when you're if you're in any of these states. Um, but first off, I'd love to, you know, uh, and when we first connected, I mean, I had a real fear about m mentioning topical steroid withdrawal because, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's um, it's early days. I mean, luckily, there was a BBC coverage on it the other week, which was fantastic. But often there's a, a hesitancy or a reluctance in the medical community to discuss it. So therefore, people going to their doctor or to counsellors um, aren't sure of the level of awareness of it yet so i was thrilled when i surreptitiously sort of mentioned what i was going through and you asked me was it tsw so talk to me about how you found out about it and your exposure sure so i i have had patients with tsw before and i work very um very hard on and this is just a personal sort of way i work is if i'm working with people who've got um sort of illnesses or got sort of specific diagnoses of things that are really sort of affecting them is to understand them so having had patients in the past i'd gone away i'd done my research i'd learned about it and understood about it within sort of a, a you know as reasonable as you can without having it and, and sort of going on the internet um and i thought it, and i think it is really important and i think when if people who are listening to this who've got TSW and you're wanting to reach out to therapists or to um, or to your GPs or medical practitioners, um, there's some really important things you can do. It's okay to educate your therapist um, and they will more than likely be really grateful. And so if you say I have TSW, which is topical steroid withdrawals, um, and, you know, can I send you an email link so that you can sort of have a little look and understand 
um, what I might be going through, I think that is really important. And I would hope that most therapists would be really receptive of this because again, we come back to the point of the best work that happens therapeutically is when you have a good relationship. If you have a therapist who doesn't want to look that up, well, maybe they're not the right therapist for you. Mm. Whereas if you have a therapist who goes, thank you so much for helping me understand where you're at and what you're going through and really be able to say, oh, that must be so difficult and, and actually be able to attune to what you're going through. Like I said, bracketing off that stuff that they're understanding and their knowledge and really tuning into what you're going through as an individual, I think is really important. Mm. Mm, absolutely and that that's great to hear um and i do know and i'll link to these as well on scratch that and itsand.org there are information sheets that you can take to your doctor to your therapist um, or send them in advance um and and i know it's hit and miss in the community but there absolutely are practitioners who are willing to admit that you know they can't know everything there are so many different diseases and illnesses that you know that one person can't be expected to know everything absolutely but one of the things that i recommend people so i do a lot of work with people who've had trauma um sort of health related trauma so therefore going to the gp is really really overwhelming people who've had um you know trauma through uh, medical illnesses and, and, and diagnoses and things and one of the things that i say the most important thing to do if you're going to an appointment because what happens is as soon as you go in the appointment you're you're in fight flight freeze or appease and especially because the professional on the other side is supposed to be the one that has all the knowledge that knows everything so you, you there's a power imbalance and so the one thing that i say is get a notebook and write all of your questions down and make sure you say at the beginning i've got some questions to ask you can i make sure that each one is ticked off and tick each question off as you go it is absolutely okay for you to do this and it is important for you to have that ownership of the space. Um, and if the doctor doesn't have the answer, it's okay for the doctor to say, I don't have the answer, I can get back to you on that. Does that make sense? But actually going in with that sense of, I'm, I, I matter and how my experience, and yes, the GP may not know because it is not as commonly um, notified or aware of something like TSW, but actually it's still okay for me to, uh, to have this information the other thing that i've done and again if you have a trauma focused therapist i write a letter for my for my patients to take with them that outlines this to somebody they suffer you know um you know they have ptsd symptoms um they find it difficult to retain knowledge please can you write down um let them write down their answers because mm -hmm. how many times do we go into an appointment someone talks to us come out and someone says oh what do they say <laughs> oh i have no idea i don't know what they said and then you're going oh okay brilliant and then you have to wait for a letter and you're like oh i didn't that's not what i understood and so actually saying to that practitioner i need to write down my answers can you just hold on a minute and so that you've got or if you're going with a friend or with a partner get them to be your scribe get them to write down because they're not going to be in the same hyper aroused state that you are um and that's okay you're valuable and it's not about get you in get you out but get you in and help you actually come away with information that you need or mm. referral that you need does that make sense claire a hundred percent yeah and um it's such simple practical advice right because i think mm. everybody in the community will resonate with that moment where particularly if you're in that red zone or you know the orange zone where you you're not in a great state and having those conversations mm -hmm. um there's so many times i've walked out of the out of the doctor um and yeah being like oh, what did 
what did we talk about? Or I didn't ask that question or then have to follow up later on to get the answer. So great advice. Thank you, Anya. So th there's a number of facets to TSW, and I know you're, you're aware of these, um, which make it really difficult to manage mentally. Um, so mm. things such as obviously you've got the physical side and the pain. Um, I found particularly hard, and I know a lot of people do, is insomnia um, mm. and extended periods of insomnia. Um, there's, you know, you, you, you feel like you lose your identity to respect because you know, when you're at your worst, you can't engage in the activities you used to, you can't connect with your family and friends, or people don't understand when you have conversations with them about what you're doing and why. Um, so talk to me, during the actual trauma, what is actually happening to your nervous system during that time? So I guess during the actual trauma, so when you are most unwell and you're, you're in, is that, again, you're not able to regulate so you need to be able to, we need to be able to regulate our bodies um, and on our nervous systems um, every day to be able to function and to be in that green zone. If we do not have the capacity to regulate, then everything else becomes dysregulated. You're in a state of hyperarousal. Again, if we think about um, if there's a lion in my house, I'm not going to go to sleep. I don't want to sleep if there's a lion in my house because it might eat me. So I'm not going to sleep. So it's the same thing. Your TSW is is a threat. Your brain, um, again, it, I won't, it, it would end up being a whole podcast on its own, sort of looking at the brain, the different systems in the brain and how they work. Um, and I think, and I hope those listening who want to sort of reach out for help from people, they will get this explained within sort of more within when a therapeutic relationship, looking at the psychoeducation of the brain and how trauma works if that makes sense i mean we've talked a lot mm. about it it wouldn't be able to be covered in just one sort of snippet um but certainly for us to be thinking about when you feel that threatened sense your body is going to go into threat mode so also if you think about those hormones you're creating adrenaline noradrenaline cortisol those are also things that don't they don't welcome sleep and rest you're hyper aroused you will often feel anxious you'll feel stressed mm. you will feel you can't shut down you can't shut off your mind will be racing lots and lots of thoughts there's lots of projected fears just like if i'm being chased by a lion my projected fear will be i'm probably going to die if you have tsw and your your projected fear is i'm never going to stop feeling like this i'm going to be like this forever um and i'm thinking back to the um podcast uh, i was listening to the tsw podcast the, the, i can't remember her name i want to say melissa it wasn't the american Ke lady Ke kelly palace <laughs> kelly palace and how kelly palace was talking about the fear of this never ever ending and that really resonated to me when i was listening to that um and i think it's so important to to recognize that that is a, a bona fide fear at the time and when people are like oh you know don't be silly it will pass it doesn't feel that way for you. So your nervous system is aroused and awake and is in action. And that's when it gets really exhausted. You go up into that red zone where you go, well, maybe it isn't worth it. Maybe, maybe that maybe I give up. Maybe I don't carry on. And that's what I think is so important when we think about what's happening to the nervous system. It's messages being sent around the body, around the mind and how to cope with the situation does mm. that help or make any sense claire yeah absolutely it does and and how would so if someone's in that sort of hype hyper aroused state so in the very much in their red zone what would what would a therapist how would a therapist approach working with someone in that situation when they're in that state so there's lots of different ways again depending on what 
model you're following but I guess when when sort of I've been working and we think about it there's a lot of things about having trying to help somebody have some compassion for themselves in that state I think that's one of the first things that I work really importantly is that self-compassion because what I notice and I may be alone in this but I I'm doubtful that most people were in a state of hyper and hyper arousal they're very self-critical what am I doing wrong how am I messing this up you know what's wrong with me why you know lots of very negative critical thinking rather than being actually being able to be more grounded and calm and more compassionate in our thinking does that make sense Mm. um i would be you know some people they may be so struggling that they may need medical intervention and it's really important i'm not a doctor i cannot make a decision for somebody if they need medication i have at times in my career when I've worked with people who've been so what I would say they're so symptomatic that therapeutically you can't get past the symptoms to get to the core of what's happening some people may need medication to bring them down that ladder does that make sense Mm -hmm. and that is not it's not a criticism it's not a failure if somebody needs medication it's okay and I imagine for people who've suffered with TSW there'll be a real resistance to any form of medication because Mm -hmm topical steroid withdrawals is because medication has caused this yeah and so finding a compassionate doctor who can really talk through with you um and there are there are some um there is some herbal medications um sort of medications to help psychological wellness um again it's an, i'm not that person to be able to mm-hmm. um prescribe that or suggest that but there is research you can look um holland and barrett sell things like st john's wort boots sell st john's wort there's lots of but it has lots of interaction mm. so you'd need to speak to a healthcare professional to get um feedback about what would be useful mm. does that make sense yeah. but i think sometimes it's okay to say you need a two-pronged approach and one of those approaches might be um sort of psychological medication mm. and um to help you if you are in that incredibly hyper-aroused um, state where you can't function, if you're really, really hypo and you, you are feeling that you don't want to be here anymore, mm. if you're feeling suicidal thoughts, that you are frightened, you may action. I think you need to go outside. That may not be within the reams of a therapist alone. Obviously, your therapist should be um, qualified and able to work with it, but you may need to have additional sort of bolstering from Mm. gp or psychiatrist and i think that's really important to hold on to um and then the other things that i would be doing would be so for me because i'm existential i work very much on the premise of of acceptance of accepting where you're at and that is incredibly challenging and incredibly hard and it may feel like you know people listen to this podcast what i've just got to live with feeling this awful and and it's not that the answer is yes that's what you've got to do but the answer might be actually what you can do is be supported in going through this stage it's not like like kelly said it won't always be this way but it could be this way for a considerable period of time and how do we resource you to be able to regulate um and be able to accept and tolerate some of the difficulties and, and i think you and i've talked a lot about um communication your body's communicating something to you and so if you can find words you can find space you can find therapy to help actually um tune into what your body's communicating it might make it more bearable um emdr is another way of looking at it so um again eye movement desensitization and reprocessing 
um, I'll get a, a link to the EMDR Association website. Um, and it's a form of trauma-focused therapy that looks at processing traumatic events, traumatic memory, um, to be able to pass through. So you're having less intrusive thoughts or, or PTSD responses. Um, so they may be worthwhile, but actually having somebody who can just support you on this journey. Um, I wish there was sort of something more miraculous that I could no, I think, offer. I think all of that is so, so powerful. And yeah, you're absolutely right with, you know, the compassion because when you're in the worst stage your head is spinning you can't focus on anything you're super sleep deprived and you're absolutely right you're you can't and actually it's about taking a breath yeah. and being compassionate to yourself and i think what you mentioned there about you're absolutely right you know um and, and actually one of the community sent in a question before which was around you know she, she went through um TSW and is still recovering from TSW but had a baby and refused any medical um any medicine because she do doesn't trust it anymore and that's the legacy that she's left with it's trauma yeah that's PTSD that's that's a post-traumatic stress Absolutely. response completely yeah. understandable yeah and so having again this is why I have written letters for patients going into hospital saying this person isn't being difficult actually this is their trauma response and understanding and this is what i talk about by understanding trauma responses you know it's not about um you know grateful patient seeks kind doctors you know rescuing actually you're allowed to go in and say this is a very real thing for me i have a letter from my therapist um when i worked in sexual violence service it's one of the key things that we would do for people because having any examination you know having a blood test having somebody touching them and and actually i think if you think about tsw it is a sort of interpersonal it's it's you it's your body it's your skin it's your it's it's you and so somebody taking blood from you may be incredibly triggering um and you know it's okay to be able to have a letter from a professional who says please be mindful of this please be considerate if this person needs to stop they may need a double appointment because it may take longer you may need to just do some breathing exercises with them does that make sense just 100%. making sure that yeah that there is i guess what we're talking about is trauma-informed care so i do training in in different settings around training professionals around having trauma-informed care so when somebody presents to you who may have experienced trauma understanding their presentation and actually for somebody from tsw it could be you know i can't have medication because my body has has mm. has had such a huge reaction mm. and you don't need a doctor going oh i don't know what's wrong with you you've just got to take it for that doctor to sit down and go i really hear you and i'm really sorry that happened to you is there a compromise? Is there not? And if there's not, that's okay. It's our job to find a way to manage this, not your job to have to back down because that would ex potentially exacerbate your trauma. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that was lovely to hear. And I'm pretty sure everybody listening is going to be like, yes, <laughs> they will find that doctor is like, I understand. And, you know, I think there's, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, Anya. What I will. Sure interestingly around sort of you know the medication piece as well i know um i know dr rapaport mentioned that actually you know um he was concerned about antidepressants because fundamentally there's a huge reason why you're sad and not getting great is yeah. your 
you can't move. People spend so much time in the bath because it's the only place that they get comfort, like hours just yeah. laying in the bath. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for me, when I got to that stage where I couldn't sleep for so long, I, I took sleeping tablets and I know the community's, you know, not necessarily a massive fan of any sort of medication, but that gave me the rest that I could mentally then start processing yeah. our therapy. Um, but again, everybody will find their own different balance. And like yeah. Anya said, you know, if you, if you need the medication to help you get out of that red zone, then that's something to explore with your doctor and not to feel bad about it. Absolutely, Claire. There's not, and I think this is one, again, I come back from that position is I don't look at people as a collective. I look at people as individuals mm. and say, what works for you? I have lots of patients that my profession can use that they might benefit from medication, but if they feel strongly against it, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to say, okay, that's my job to then work harder to be able to accommodate and support that person rather than think, well, I want you. It's about giving, I guess in my mind, it's about having a table of, of tools and letting people fill up their own toolbox. Mm. Yeah, It's absolutely not for me to say whether you should or you shouldn't. I think medication for me is absolutely about it. You know, for people who've experienced TSW, it has to be something that can, is, is, putting more rungs on the ladder mm -hmm. if it takes rungs of the ladder away then it isn't going to be helpful and so about using that and exploring it and having compassionate conversations with the self and with a therapist with a doctor you, you know like i said getting a letter from a professional to say this is something that somebody suffers with so that you know the hospitals can come up with alternative options and i think these are really really important mm. things mm. um so I think, and as well, using um, techniques and tools, when we're talking about the, the, the tools on the table, um, there are different techniques, you know, we've talked about these, haven't we? Um, the techniques of using things that can help regulate our, um, our nervous systems. And one of them is trauma release exercises or neurogenic tremoring. So there's two different languages that is used for it. Um, so Dr. David Bocelli, who um, he um, developed the, the process of TRE, um, and it's a way in which you trigger uh, your fascia, which is like a fatty sinewy web between your muscles and your skin um, to cause a shaking of the body which helps basically reset your nervous system. So when you are driving down a country lane, like I regularly do living on the edge of Dartmoor, um, you see bunny rabbits that, you know, have had near misses kind of cowering in the, in the hedges. Now they're shaking. They're not shaking because, um, you know, they're consciously frightened. Their mammalium, so the mammal effect, the mammalium effect in them is using the shaking to reset the nervous system. And, you'll notice really small children and babies shake when they're distressed, angry, frustrated. Um, and then when they, um, they use it as a way to resolve and then they kind of five minutes later, they're getting on with whatever they were doing. And their parents are like, Oh my God, that was stressful to so the kids, you know, happily doing whatever. Um, using the TRE exercises can be a really good way of releasing some of what you're carrying in your body. Some of that, what we were talking earlier, that implicit imprinted, experience in your body and letting some of that go emptying the net a little bit so that uh, i'll make sure that we put some links up as well too there's um i think there's a tre association in the uk and they have videos and things like that but that is something that doesn't involve any medication 
it doesn't involve needing to have a therapist there's some amazing people out there who provide tre training so you go and have a couple of sessions till you can do it at home but you can watch videos if you don't feel like you want to see somebody who does it um so there's some really good and again that is a really powerful and i've worked with people who found that more powerful than than um anything else more powerful than talking and it's about making sure that on that table there's things that will fit all of you rather than saying well you can only have this and it's that or nothing does that make sense Claire yeah absolutely absolutely and just on the TRE you know I've I've done that as part of my therapy and I'm not gonna lie it feels a little bit weird <laughs> to start oh, with it's a very <laughs> weird process <laughs> It is, it is very strange but and, um i ended up and I'll, I'll link to the ladies and some websites as well that um you can mm. actually work as anya said work with a practitioner to access it and and find that point in your own body that it starts shaking um and there's something really lovely to know that mentally you with your brain you're not having to do anything you're just mm. letting your body process legacy trauma mm. and, and let that mm. go from your fascia um and you mm. feel mm. exhausted afterwards but it's you know it's it's a really powerful way of helping yourself in a way you might ne- never have tried before mm. I, I i really think that and actually if, if, you, if anybody reads vessel van der Kolk's book he is really keen about body work and actually for me as a therapist i will encourage every patient of mine to do body work as well as talking. Talking is not enough. I think it's really important. You're, um, you know, you're a whole person. You're not just a part of a person. You're not just words. Your experience, your physical, your your body, and I think more and more people are moving towards understanding. You know, trauma focused yoga, um, swimming, um, the trauma release exercises acupuncture or acupressure um, i often recommend acupressure mats now i know obviously people with tsw their skin may be too fragile for for an acupuncture mat uh, acupressure mat even um so that would have to be something that would be up to the individual where they are in their recovery but again these are all things that can help with your fascia release um to help someone you know actually um, get in touch with their body listen to their body because it's about reintegrating your body and your experiences and yourself together to become that whole again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about some fantastic stuff there, the EMDR, the acupressure mats, which are sometimes called Shakti mats as well, and I'll, I'll link mm-hmm. to those as well, and, and then the TRE. So if someone doesn't have access to a counsellor or a psychotherapist, those are some self-led practices that they can access, but is there anything else you would recommend? So I would, if if you don't have access to a counsellor or um, a psychotherapist, then I would, I would be cautious about doing too much sort of um, like self-processing because if you, if you become what we know, sort of you go, especially looking at trauma responses, sometimes you will feel worse before you get better. And that's about the containment and the support from, from the practitioner, from your therapist, helping you support you through that. So I would try and be doing lots of body work, lots of um, mindfulness, lots of meditation, yoga, all of those things. Um, But also even if for those who, um, you know, paying for private therapy is outside of their remit. The NHS have a responsibility. You know, um, most people will have an IAP service within their um, area. So that's um, the increasing access to psychological uh, therapies service, IAPT. 
um, and you can most most NHS services will let you self-refer to that and then they will assess you and see if you meet their criteria um, and then there are lots of um, there's lots of charities and there's lots of training bodies so most um, so within London all the big counselling training schools have low-cost therapy clinics for their students to be um, for students to be getting their hours up I really encourage people not to underestimate the power of working with a trainee because trainees are a number of things they they are committed and they are um, they are passionate about what they're doing and they are getting the, the latest training and they are heavily supervised by incredibly experienced um, practitioners and that you know most of the time they, they, they may be recording their sessions and then analyzing them so you're going to actually be getting really really good therapy for mm. not a lot of money so those i i never um, underestimate the power of seeing a student it you know they may be a bit more clunky in their um in their process but nonetheless it's again we go back it's about that relationship and you know they may be just really wanting to help you and mm why not and so there's a number of big counseling schools in london that have um that have low-cost therapy clinics attached to them um and there are again in some of the big cities if you put into google low-cost counseling services and then you put your area you will inevitably find um charities or um services that are offering low-cost therapy some private practitioners have um will have some low cost slots in their clinic. Um, some don't, it's individual. Um, so there are things, the other thing that people can do is join a group. Group therapy is often a lot cheaper than individual therapy. Um, and lots of places will have groups and there is some brilliant evidence around group therapy often having um, more of an impact than individual therapy because you have a group of people wanting to support mm, you mm -hmm. you don't have to be a tsw group it could be um you know a health psychology group it could be just a community group it could be a trauma group there's lots of different things there um so i hope that helps mm, in terms of um, and always speak to your gp your gp you know lots of gp practices you know gps practices they can adapt and amend their practice there are lots of brilliant gp practices that employ counselors you know, and Amazing. you may only get six sessions, but it, it, it may be more than it may be enough. Does that mm, make sense? So absolutely. don't underestimate seeking out for that help. That's fantastic. Thank you. And then are there any sort of practical demos that we can try now as a community on the podcast just to help relax and let go of any trauma or process anything that we might be experiencing now? So one of the things that we could do... Um, is I could take you through sort of the safe space exercise that we do with an EMDR, okay? Um, and that is, it can be quite difficult because it would involve a body scan. So just noticing your body. So if people who don't feel that that's something they can do at the moment, then that's okay. Leave that part out. But if I just take you through it, you can then say to me whether you, you know, think that that was helpful and we can see where we go with it but this is something we use so when people come in and have emdr um, we create so the word safe may not resonate with everybody so it might be a safe space calm place a relaxed place and your practitioner if you have it will um will find the right word to suit you but maybe we'll go with a relaxed space today so that i'm not sort of potentially um not supporting anybody who do, who who doesn't identify with feeling safe 
So what I want you just to do now is just close your eyes and I just want you to notice your body. So notice your feet, maybe give your toes a little wiggle and notice what they feel like. And then just notice with really nice deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And another nice deep breath. So now your feet feel grounded, your breath has been opened. And so just notice going up through your legs, notice how they feel, notice what you're wearing, and notice your knees. Notice how you're sitting, your knees out straight, where they bend, just noticing them. And noticing your legs up into your pelvis. And notice how you're sitting and how it feels. Are you in a chair? Are you on the floor? Are you in bed? Are you in the bath being held by the water? Just notice. Notice how you're being held. Notice your tummy. Is it happy? Is it sad? Have you eaten food that you wanted to eat today? Are you hungry? Just notice it. Notice your lungs, take another really nice deep breath. And going up into your shoulders, and maybe drop your shoulders down if they're still a bit tight. And go down your arms to your hands. Notice your fingers, move them around a bit, wiggle them. Wake them up if they've gone sleepy. And then back up through your shoulders into your neck. You need to move your neck around, notice it, move it around. And then your face, squeeze your face up, stretch it up. And now with a really nice deep breath, I want you to go somewhere in your mind where you feel relaxed. Now this can be a real place, it can be imagined, it can be on an island in French Polynesia, it could be on the moon. But just find somewhere that you can feel relaxed, that you can just feel calm. And when you've found somewhere, I just want you to notice the colours. What colours do you notice? Are they bright colours, warm colours? Just notice all the different colours. And when you've noticed the colours, just notice the sounds. What sounds do you hear? And now you're noticing the sounds. Notice what something might feel like if you touched it. If you're on the beach, pick up some sand and run it through your hands. If you're in the woods, crouch down and just touch some of the moss or the leaves on the ground. Just notice if you were to touch what's around you. If you're in water, let the water run through your fingers. Just notice, notice the smells. Can you smell anything? Can you smell a meadow or the salt? Notice what you can smell. And take all the while nice deep breaths. And notice that you can feel relaxed in your body in this space. Notice the temperature that you feel. And notice what you're wearing. And notice that while you're here, you are relaxed. 
and that this is a place you can visit anytime you like. It's your place, your relaxed place. And when you're ready, just notice and come back into the room. so magical <laughs> oh wonderful <laughs> oh, I feel so relaxed thank you so much for that <laughs> okay. and interestingly the birds were part of my soundtrack as well <laughs> God, I know I'm completely aware that everybody's sound will be my little tweeting um, <laughs> barn roof birdies um but yeah, I mean, it can be a really powerful exercise. Um, and that's one of the starting exercises in um, EMDR. So that's becomes your space. If you do EMDR, um, the mm. next stage is you do an installation of your relaxed or safe space. And then that's something you go to when you're reliving traumatic events. So we make sure we really install somewhere that is, is a place for you to go to in your mind if you're having to relive anything distressing. Um, and so that's yours to go back to. And if you are, if you do decide to, to use an Acumat or Shaktimat, um, or if you're in the bath or you're just having to be in that place where you bear not being able to sleep and just you have to lie in bed and, and accept and let that insomnia be present, maybe having a relaxed space or calm space just to visit, just so you can go there and really engage in those um, sensory experiences while you're there may help again to bring you down the ladder mm. i think it's important imagine that ladder next to your green orange and red zones notice you will gather tools in how to come down that ladder mm. and so that may be one of those that was amazing thank you so much i think as it's i get okay. back to work that's going to be incredibly important for me to tap into that mm. So Anya, one of the, one of the big things is you know stress, and it's particularly pertinent to me. Um, is you know stress can exacerbate TSW, um, and we've seen that play out in the community at large. But also eczema. So people who are just dealing with eczema, you know, it can um, when you're feeling flustered or anxious or stressed out, you can automatically start scratching. Um, and I know mm -hmm. we've spoken about this before that it's almost a form of self-soothing. Um, yeah. So can you talk to me a little bit around maladaptive coping strategies? So, so yeah. what are they and are there ways of reprogramming them? Yeah, absolutely, Claire. Um, so maladaptive coping strategies are strategies that have come out of the need to regulate um, sort of that are potentially more damaging for you or not or not healthy. Um, I struggle with some of this language because they're very understandable, you know, according to what's happening for somebody. But I think... Um, you know, for example, with TSW and eczema, you are likely just to start unconsciously scratching. The amount of people who look down and they're covered in blood before they've realised that they've been scratching. And so, again, I think we come back to compassion. So there's something about recognising, about being compassionate when you're doing these things. You're not doing these things because you're destructive. You're not doing these things because you're bad. You're not doing these things because you keep forgetting. I think you have to remember they become autonomic reactions um, and how to find alternative ways to introduce um, soothing so um, you know using things like okay so if I started scratching I'm going to go to the kitchen I'm going to get some ice and I'm just going to rub ice on my arm 
because that will hopefully numb some of the ner nerve endings and actually it means that i'm actually doing i'm attending to something on my body my body is you know the itch the pain the uncomfortableness but actually it's not likely to cause more damage it's not likely to cause infection um but i'm actually not you know because being told don't scratch i mean it, it you know if you if, if this was a video you'd see my head going what how can you possibly ask somebody who's experiencing chronic itching not to scratch it's mm -hmm. it's completely unreasonable and then it leaves that person feeling that they somehow are failing that they're somehow they're um they're not good enough they're not doing it proper because the doctor said don't scratch or the person said don't scratch and they're scratching so they're failing somehow and then that burden on themselves and we come up again with all those critical messages those critical beliefs so finding alternative ways of of doing things i think you you were saying in in the podcast you know lying in the bath actually having you know if you're feeling that need go and lie in the bath take time out um do things to distract yourself if you're feeling like you want to scratch and your skin is well enough that you can use an acumat or shakti mat use something like that because um it will help you um, defer the emotional response, what's happening in the body. It will give you something that's safe. I think if you use an Acumat and you are you have TSW, probably just wear a really thin shirt while you're on it, like a really thin cotton shirt um, so that it doesn't puncture or break the skin and risk infection. Um, so things like that, using um, trauma release exercises, all the things that we've been talking about in, mm. in the podcast. Um, and you know practicing those breathing techniques and also not being you know a maladaptive coping mechanism doesn't mean you're bad doesn't mean you're wrong um it just means that's what's there at the moment and until you can really lay down alternative pathways it is going to be the go-to response so until your go-to response till your body sort of craves that piece of ice it's going to crave that scratch and just trying to be less critical of it and saying okay we've done this what do i need to do next do i need to make sure that i'm wearing clothes that reduce the need to scratch being compassionate working with the self go to your um you know calm place and we'll do do the calm place exercise and all these different things that i think can could be really useful does that make sense yeah that's perfect that's really perfect um and what I would say is I, I know that a lot of the community will be aware, but there is cozy care that's been created by a lady who um, her brother suffers from TSW and cozy care is simply a roller that you put in the freezer and you can then roll it on your skin when it feels itchy. So that could be something yeah. that that also could be useful. I've got a discount code for that. So I'll put that in the show notes as well for people. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, Brilliant. really helpful advice. Thank you. Yeah no problems and also change like you know doing things like sensory things so um when i work with trauma particularly i try and encourage people to have a sensory kit so have a piece of material um either like a little chamois or a bit of silk something that's quite textured and you can just play with that between your finger and your thumbs and just do some breathing exercises eat a mint so we know that again grounding if we are um if we're in that hyper aroused space using our senses can bring us back down again so doing something like having a mint 
um, like a really strong one, you know, fisherman's friend level, not polo <laughs> level. Um, something that's really sort of like intense in terms of sensory um, smelling things. Um, using go, go to a nice um, one of those nice shops that sells like scent like oil like oil feed for sort of um, you know for burning, and find an oil that you really like the smell of. Put it on a hanky. Put it on a bit of a tissue. Breathe it in taking that in doing deep breath mm. deep breath exercises um all of these different sensory things are also really good grounding techniques so i would also have a little sensory box somewhere um that you can that you can use yeah i love it i'm gonna have a range of different things when i go back to work <laughs> to tap yeah, into absolutely. my desk fantastic thank you so much no worries so conscious of time, Anya, um, I've yeah. been chatting way too for far too long and taking all your time. Um, I guess, I guess I just kind of want to close off with kind of, you know, we've spoken about different resources. We've spoken about different books. So we're going to link those in the show notes. Is there any, any other ones that you think could be useful for the community that we haven't spoken about? Um, I can't think off the top of my mind. It's, again, cause what I don't want to do is, is make everybody just one and universalize. Yes. Does that make sense? I think, when the body says no is a really useful book because it's a really helpful way of understanding how your body manifests somatic trauma and illness and the development of it and the research papers um i think uh, the body keeps the score is a very good book but i think it needs to come with a massive trigger warning if you have severe or if you think you have ptsd i would say that's not a book for you to read because mm-hmm. um it's an incredibly um engaging useful book but it, the um examples and the content is incredibly um could be very triggering for people it could be very re-traumatizing for people and remembering that vicarious trauma so if you for example have tsw and you saw a friend who had an outbreak who was you know really struggling with their tsw that could be very traumatic for you does that Mm, make sense mm, mm -hmm. and i don't know what trauma on top of having tsw the listeners today may have experienced and so um i would definitely put that because it is a high level trigger warning um so just be warned about that one (laughs) but i think i think it's more about um arming yourself with um asking for help when you need it and recognizing there are people out there who want to help who will help and being okay to say tsw is the reason i'm seeking a trauma therapist because it's incredibly traumatic Mm. and not having somebody dismiss that and um and and being able to say this doesn't have a benchmark i guess there is one book that i would recommend which i do recommend to most people um which is called man's search for meaning it's an existential book i'm sure i made you read it as well (laughs) at some point um it's written by a psychiatrist called Victor, V-I-K-T-O-R, Frankel. Um, again, we'll put a link in there. Um, and I guess what it's a book about, it, again, it's heavy and it can be distressing. He writes about um, being in a um, Nazi prison camp during the Second World War. So again, it's not, it's not light reading, it's not cheery, but it's also about helping understand purpose meaning and and bearing our traumas and our difficulties and finding meaning and purpose out of what we've experienced and i think this is quite a nice way to sort of encapsulate and come to sort of close with 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 the um with the podcast today because in my mind each and every one of you has been on your own journey and there is no universal um way 
to have been or should be or could be. Um, and so it's about finding what it means for you as an individual. And the book Man's Search for Meaning is about what what makes us fight, what makes us individual, what what we're all humans and we all experience something awful. Why does one man fight to to, to live another day? And how do we find meaning and purpose for ourselves? Now that is a very existential philosophy. And again, like I said, that's my perspective. Um, lots of other therapists don't have that sort of angle in their work and that's fine and and for you as individuals if you're looking for help try therapists on like shoes until you find the right thing that fits for you um that's that's all i can sort of suggest mm. and offer at this moment yeah and and i you're absolutely right that's an amazing place to end ania because i think a lot of people you know feel reborn as you go through um tsw you have an immense gratitude for the little things that you get back like getting up in the morning and putting on clothes so that's not painful and and i think you know the podcast has come out of me finding new purpose and meaning in my life because of tsw um so last point to to close on anya you know if people want to connect with you or to work with you how should they go about reaching out to you uh okay so if people do want to work with me um you can find me on on the web so just put in um anya shano um and maybe you can put a link in the show notes to um my website anctherapy.com um and i'm i think i've got space on the counseling directory i advertise there um and if i can't take on anybody i've got a real sort of lovely cohort and network of amazing people that i can refer you to and, and send people to you um i do work with most insurance companies um but equally if um you know paying for therapy can be a real challenge it's not easy so there are lots of services out there um and so you know lots of people will work with with these sorts of traumatic events and i think it's really important to find the right person for you um and i'm happy to sort of direct if i need to um going forward amazing thank you so much anya that was amazing thank you for making time well, to talk to us <laughs> that's my pleasure thank you so much for having me and you know it's a real privilege to be here and to offer some support and some some help to the community um who are experiencing tsw thank you for having me claire thank you